This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Roundup. No special announcements this week, although hopefully this weekend I will have something kind of fun out for everybody. I'll explain more next week and hopefully we can get it out in time. But anyway, enough teasers, let's jump in and see what's been going on this week. First up, pre-orders are now open for a vinyl version of the Rusty soundtrack. And this is going to be a two LP soundtrack with audio that Jeff Roberts from Martial Art, who I interviewed a while back, had sourced via a PC 9801-86 card. So basically this is from a PC 98, and the game was also released on Epson PC and MS-DOS, but if, uh, if you listen to that interview with Jeff, he really bends over backwards to get as accurate of an experience as possible for these soundtracks. So it is very exciting to, to see his work and exactly what, you know, this was one of the things that he was teasing, I believe, in the interview that he couldn't talk about then. So it's exciting to see it come out. Uh, if you're a fan of the game or the soundtrack or both, then this is probably something that you're going to want to pick up just because, you know, we know the care that went into it. And it should be available worldwide from a bunch of different sellers with some pretty t- cool artwork as well. So if you're interested in that, check out Crystal's post. And of course, you could always check out that interview I did with Jeff for a lot of the behind the scenes details and how he gets this stuff done. James from Retro HQ just posted a first look at his Atari 7800 game drive with RGB out. Now, I'll start by saying there is no pre-orders yet. There's no official price or release date. This was just a first look, but this is a very interesting device. Imagine Crix's RGB blaster with an EverDrive built in, but for the Atari 7800, which also means, since that's backwards compatible with 2600 games, that you could play both of those. So this one cartridge will allow for clean RGB out for both types of games and also play the ROMs from both of those, including all of the original retail games and I think all of the homebrew as well. Now, this is what I guess you would call hybrid emulation because you are using the original console and the original CPU. However, there's an FPGA inside this cartridge that generates the video, just like with Crix's RGB blaster, that outputs to a Genesis 2 mini DIN. And much like with all of the other products that we've been talking about lately, if you use a properly built 
Genesis 2 cable. So a RGB SCART cable from any of the major sellers, the HD Retrovision cables, Rad 2X, any of those things, then it should just work perfectly. So I'm a, a massive fan of stuff like this because it utilizes original hardware. It has something unique and different. And I could absolutely see myself doing something like connecting the 70, an unmodified 7800 to a TV via RF and just enjoying it that way. And also, hey, if I want to go into a flat panel or I want to grab an RGB monitor, then pull the video out from this RGB port and back. So if you want more details on this, and you know, to be honest, if you have a 7800, you should at the very least watch this video <laughs> and kind of just go from there. But if you're interested, definitely check that out. And we'll, of course, follow up with more info as soon as any is available. This week's roundup is once again sponsored by JLC PCB, and this week we're continuing to figure out what went wrong with the SCART cleaner order, and I still don't really know. And I have to, in my words, not JLC PCB's words, politely remind everybody that none of these companies are your personal concierge for your projects. JLC PCB seems to have made exactly what we sent them in the way that we told them to make it. So when I'm doing these discussions about what I did wrong, it's always a reflection of what any other beginner might run into, not a reflection against JLC PCB, unless they end up making a mistake. And I'll tell you that sometime, but uh, if that ever does happen, but this all has been on me and it's weird calling myself a beginner because I've been doing product development on products that have reached customers for over 15 years now, but PCB design and using that software is something I'm still very much a beginner on, which is why I kind of like doing this because I have the insight of somebody who's been making and delivering products forever, but I still have beginner aspects of it that might help you with these bumps in the road. So there were two problems that were left over. There were actually three. I'll tell you the last one at the end because it was my fault. But one of the issues was that the audio traces were not connected on this board. So I had to run a jumper wire in order to make sure. But when we looked at the easy EDA design, it seemed like everything was there. The traces most certainly are there and the holes are there for the audio jack to be mounted in but it looks like the metal piece around the hole wasn't added. And that's something that I spoke to my JLC PCB rep about. And I don't think any of us could really figure it out because in the easy EDA design drawing, they're there. So I don't know where the disconnect is. I don't know if it's an easy EDA problem. I don't know if it's a way it's, how JLC PCB had imported it, or maybe it's a mistake. Maybe I put up a gold colored circle instead of an actual metal circle around it. So we're going to kind of tear into that and maybe make another run of these to see if that makes a difference. And there's also another weird issue with sync. And I tested every single component on both this and the original SCART to DVA, DVI board. And I tested the components in line right on the motherboard to make sure that it wasn't a circuit issue. And all of the resistors matched exactly. Yet somehow with the original SCART cleaner, when you turn on the sync stripper, it sends it to TTL level voltage, which is what you want. On both of these, if you turn it off, it's the same exact voltage, whatever you put through it, which is good. However, on the new one, the one that we were just making, turning on the sync stripper barely adds any voltage whatsoever, only 200 millivolts ish, not over a volt like it's supposed to. So I originally thought, oh, maybe I spec'd a resistor out wrong. Did I use 750 instead of 75 or something like that, which is absolutely something I would do. 
but it doesn't seem to be the case because they all matched the same. We also opened it up, uh, removed the switch, cut some traces. So we still need to figure that out. And I just don't know what the answer is. So I wanted to talk, talk about this both to be open and honest about what's going on, but also just to, to kind of say, this is the stuff that you run into. You know, how could you take something that was made perfectly by JLC PCB a couple of years ago and uh, have it not being work or not work the same now? And it's, I'm my gut saying it's my mistake, but I'm still trying to figure out why. Also a fun little anecdote at the end. I had thought there was a problem where the RGB voltages didn't match, which didn't make sense because the tolerance of the resistors were all 1% and they all toned out properly. Turns out I had been using the same monitor since I was still in Manhattan that worked perfect. And then I recently took that monitor and sent it to another member of the retro gaming community to include in an upcoming video. And I grabbed my backup monitor and used that because the monitor in my scope setup is always the end 75 ohm termination. So device into the oscilloscope terminated through the monitor. Well, the inputs on the monitor must be slightly off because each one of the RGB signals gave slightly different voltage. So as soon as I unplugged the monitor from my scope and just used 75 ohm BNC terminators instead, suddenly all the voltages matched. So that was, that was my test equipment. And I just kind of told that because I thought fellow nerds might get a kick out of it and also kind of as a warning. So I'm going to try to, to finish this off in the next week. I'm backed up with so many different projects, but I'm, I really just want to release these design files, but I don't want to release them until they're 100% done because I don't want something like, oh, a certain notorious company making a couple of thousand of these and selling them wrong. So we'll get the files out for these as soon as they're completed. Um, it's working great. Otherwise, there's just those last two issues. So hopefully I'll cross my fingers and see if we can get it fixed. But that's about it for this week. Sorry, JLC PCB. Wasn't exactly the best ad this week. A new firmware was recently released for the PlayStation version of the Memcard Pro that focused on bug fixes. So it's my opinion that if your setup is working perfectly fine, I would check through the list of fixes and see if anything might apply to you. But if everything's working fine, maybe just leave this one be. However, if you're having any issues or if any of the stuff that's listed is something that you think might affect you, definitely update just to see. And if you want more info on it, I did a launch day video on this. And of course, there's been a whole bunch of other documentation. So feel free to check this out. They're still up for sale if you need any of them. But overall, I'm just happy to see I, like I'm always happy to see bug fixes and, and stuff like this released and not always just new features because it's very cool to see developers go back and kind of iron stuff out. So thanks very much for the update. And if you own one of these, check out the post. Time for another mini review of a six in two out automatic component video switch. If you don't really care about the details, all you need to know is that it works absolutely fine and it's a smaller form factor that uses pigtails to break out the RCA connections. Overall, I liked it and it's really one of those you get what you pay for scenarios. If you need a cheaper switch, find any component video switch from Amazon or eBay as cheap as humanly possible. Cross your fingers and hope it doesn't stink. And if you're looking for something that's good, check out this, check out the G-Comp, or even look into used high-end equipment like Audio Authority, Xtron, or any of that stuff. But on to the actual review. If you don't care, please just skip to the next section. I always try so hard to be respectful of people's time. But if you do care, here you go. Here's the basic overview of it. So first, it uses 3.5 millimeter jacks to break out all of the connections rather than have five RCA connectors 
per port. And that means that the switch could be a little bit smaller and you have things coming out the side instead of the top. And there is no performance difference there. So this is really aesthetics and space. So it doesn't really matter if you prefer one or the other, both are the right answer. Uh, but I did leave a picture that showed the dimensions just because it is a bit smaller. And also how easy it is to tell which of the 3.5 millimeter jacks are video and which are audio. The video ones are a different color, but it also has three exposed pads. So the YPBPR, whereas the other darker colored connector doesn't have that. So it's very easy to tell which is which. Um, next, it is a fully automatic switch with no manual controls whatsoever, and it defaults to the last console powered on. So if you have input two powered on and you power on any of the other inputs, it's going to stay at input two until that one is powered off. If you have multiple inputs powered on at the same time, there doesn't seem to be any interference. However, I strongly recommend never doing that for a whole bunch of reasons that are probably just paranoia and uh, you know me being overprotective of my nerd equipment, but it's still best practice to not do that unless you're using something like a matrix switch, which is really designed to route things that way. But if you do it, it seems like it's going to be fine on this one. Now, at the moment, the switch only detects when a component video signal is being inputted. Theoretically, there's no reason why they couldn't change the firmware to detect signal only on the green cable, which means you could then route composite video through green. So if you had a RetroTINK 5X, you could just swap back and forth right from there without worrying about pushing any buttons on your switch. You would just have to obviously switch inputs on the RetroTINK. But that is not guaranteed. I don't know if these are user updatable. I don't think that they are. So that's just one of those things that Gamescare is going to look into it. But my pretty strong opinion on this is if you need a composite video switch, just get the cheapest thing you can find because you're not going to really notice much interference unless it's routed so badly that you get audio buzz. Um, but, you know, I could be wrong about that. There could absolutely be a scenario in which you have four component video consoles and two composite video, and you don't want two switches. If that's the case, this is probably, you know, hopefully they would be able to update. And, uh, you know, if not, you could work through that with the, the, the G comp switch as well. Moving along though, this offers dual simultaneous output. And I tested on an oscilloscope and there did not seem to be any change at all in the outputs, regardless of which one was being plugged in or unplugged, which means that as far as I could tell, it's a properly buffered circuit and it is completely safe to use both at the same time. As for performance, it seemed totally fine. I did a couple of different tests, first with an oscilloscope to make sure that the voltages were the same when you plugged it directly into the scope versus through the switch into the scope. And just a very quick note, when I did the live stream of this, I bumped a button on the controller and I got a bad voltage the first time I tested. I did go back and correct myself and then brutally made fun of myself for doing that. However, if you just happened to watch the first couple of minutes of the stream, you might have thought there was a problem. There was. It was me. But anyway, as I confirmed multiple times afterwards, there is no voltage difference. And on top of that, I did my usual Super Mario World test and they looked identical. So unless you do something like use terrible unshielded component video cables on the output side, you should be fine. Now, that is something I do have to politely remind everybody. If you get something like just basic HD Retrovision RCA component cables, you will not have any problems. But if you buy some unshielded garbage, it's going to make a difference. You're going to get audio buzz, you're going to get interference, but that has nothing to do with the switch, and that would be the same with any switch.
Also, it seemed like it worked fine with high-def resolutions as well. I tested 723, 720p through the PlayStation 3. Same thing, direct and through the Switch. And it seemed to be completely the same. So this Switch should be compatible with 240p, 480i, 480p, 720p, and 1080i. Technically, you could run 1080p through component video, but... I haven't really had that much good luck with it, and there aren't really too many scenarios in which you would want to do that anyway. But moving along, I also ran MD Fourier tests, and it's always the same when I'm using stuff like this for analog analog audio. I run the same test twice. So my Nomad directly into my Motu M4 twice, and then I compare that to itself. And then I run it through the switch twice, and I compare all of those and there will always be a difference when you're using analog audio. You could run the same exact test pattern 10 times and get 10 slightly different results, and that's perfectly normal. So when you see the differences in the MD Fourier graph, the much more important thing to point out is that it was about the same difference when run through the switch as it was an apples to apples comparison, just directly into the Motu audio interface, which means that there's solid proof, not a, there's objective, not subjective proof that there's no audio change in this. Once again, using proper cables. If you use garbage cables on the output side, then you know that's just like I explained with the video side of things. Now, these switches are available through both a Brazilian and US distributor. So I have kind of two conclusions to this. First of all, if you live in Brazil and you want a good quality component video switch, buy this one. You don't have to worry about import taxes. You don't have to worry about a lot of other stuff. And while I don't want to throw any shade towards Super G, it's not Super G's fault that there's a ton of import taxes. So he himself might even agree. If you live in Brazil, unless you really need those extra inputs, it's probably a better, a better solution just to buy this one and save a ton of money. If you're outside of Brazil, that's up to you. This performs great. Do you want to spend the extra money on the G comp, which will get you an extra composite video jack per port and two extra inputs? Is that something that you're interested in? Do you prefer having the cables plugged into the top instead of the side? Or do you prefer a smaller solution and you only need to have everything plugged into the side? If there really is no wrong answer, that's gonna be completely up to you to decide, but I did post links to both. So, you know, if you're in Brazil, you can get it direct anywhere else, probably go through the US store, or I guess, depending on where you live, I would just check the shipping on both to make sure. If you want a detailed step-by-step, -step, including my stupid mistake view of how I tested this, please check out the live stream that's embedded at the bottom. But what you just heard in this less than 10 minute summary is basically everything you got in that live stream and more. Once again, I'm trying to just be respectful of everybody's time. Some of these live streams I do, I genuinely think there's a lot of replay value and you should go back and watch, especially like the Virtual Boy one that I did. But if you just want to care about the performance of the Switch, this is all you need. So shout out to Gamescare for making a, an awesome product, and I'm interested to see what else they got coming. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just released a video that showcased a bunch of very cool things, and one of which I think many people either never really heard about or kind of forgot about, which is the internal Pluto GC HDMI mod. So basically, this is an off-the-shelf board, a Pluto dev kit, that you could flash with specific software, the GC Video software by Ingo Corb, and install that inside your GameCube for a 
fairly easy-ish internal HDMI mod. Removing that digital port could be a pain. Tito does a great job showing this in the video. But also, this showcases a new way to install it using a flex cable that makes installation easier since you don't have to have a rat's nest of wires going all over the place. And also, I just a shout out to Tito. I love that he left the mistake in there because so many people out there love to just pretend like they're the best at absolutely everything they do. And it was just really, it's really cool to see a mistake that any one of us could have made and also how to correct it because that is an extremely helpful thing. And, you know, with respect to people out there who make very good videos showing how to do installations, you know, I love those too, but what happens if you watch a video of something that's installed perfectly and you make a mistake? you're kind of on your own. Whereas if you see something like this, then it shows you the steps to take to correct it. I wish I could say I was doing all of those mistakes I make in my live streams on purpose as a teachable moment, like Electro Boom, but sometimes I'm just a moron. So <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you about that, but the video was great. Um, the Pluto GC mod is something that might interest certain people, especially if you travel with your GameCube to tournaments or something like that, might just make it easier to have it all contained internally. And the price isn't bad. And I believe Helder who made the flex cable, I think he made it, you make this one helder uh but i he's also selling them as a kit so pre-soldered on with a 3d printed bracket and everything that you would need for a very fair price so check out this video and at the very least even if you're not interested it's kind of cool to just see a different way to approach gamecube hdmi because i think we all get very used to those plug and play adapters like the carby which i love but you know me i also love options I just posted an interview with Robert Dale Smith, who is the developer behind the SNES to 3DO controller adapter, and also the USB to PC engine and the upcoming USB to Nuon adapter. And this was a fun chat. We dug into those different platforms and talked a bit about the Nuon, which is still kind of a new platform for me because I had known about it, but I'd never, I've never even played one. And I can't remember if I've ever even seen it in person. So it was fun to talk about that. And of course, spinner support for Tempest 3000. I'm looking forward to borrowing one to try that out. And then at the end, we kind of unexpectedly just nerded out about IT stuff, which was a lot of fun. So respectfully, if you don't care about that, feel free to drop off towards the end if you still want to hear about the controller adapter stuff. But I don't know, I, I kind of enjoy doing stuff like that. And hopefully you all do too. You could just throw that on, listen to it in the background and just feel like you're hanging out. As usual, they're available everywhere you find podcasts and videos. And if you watch the video, I kind of messed up the spelling on the title card. So all the links in the description are fine. The, the thumbnail is fine. The title card was the issue. And the reason was for the first time in a very long time, the audio kept drifting. So I ended up having to re-edit and re-render this thing at least five times, which is a very lengthy process. If you watched the video I just put out a couple of weeks ago about <laughs> how I do that, um, all of the audio stuff applies to all of these interviews. And what I ended up having to do is re-encode both of our videos, then extract the audio, then line it all up. And I guess by the sixth time I did it, I had just typed in the title card wrong. And since it worked, this was one of those leave well enough alone moments. I'd much rather have everybody tease me for misspelling a title card that nobody listening audio only would even notice versus having something where the audio and video drifts. And because I do know a lot of people that prefer to watch these interviews, even if they just put it up alongside on a second monitor while they're doing something else, they kind of like to have something visual. And it drives me crazy when I look up and the audio is just way off. So I kind of just figured 
pick the least worst. And uh, the, that was my stupid misspelling of the title card. So with all respect to Robert, I kind of just had to let that one go because uh, I'm just happy that I got the interview out and didn't have to make it audio only. So anyway, check it out if you're interested. Available on absolutely every platform and I know how to get them on. Akari just released the official FX Pack Pro firmware that supports all hardware revisions, including the latest one that was just released. So a very, very quick background. The latest hardware was hitting customers before this was out. So a few weeks ago, we did a little PSA that, hey, your car is totally fine. Just use the beta firmware for now. And Akari took that beta firmware, and I believe he's been working on this for a long time now, but really has been ironing out all of the different bugs, adding the support for the new hardware, and adding a lot of the new features that were made by the community and then donated back to this open source software project. So this is one of those firmware updates that I think everybody needs, because if you haven't updated your FX Pack Pro since the last official firmware, you're about to get a ton of updates. And if even if you did already have that beta and everything seems to be working fine, why not just throw in the extra bug fixes and now you just don't have to worry about it for a little while. So if you want more details on what all of these features are, please check out Akari's post right on the blog. It goes through everything from the new features to the bug fixes and of course, download uh, of where to get it. If you want to buy it, I have a link here to the stores that I use. And also, if you're not really sure how to update it or use it, Show did a video back in 2021 that it's the same exact process. It's just a different firmware revision. And also, of course, I got to shout out My Life in Gaming, who did a great video about different ROM carts, and they included a lot of the FX Pack Pro's features in there as well. So, Basically, if you have an FX Pack Pro, check out this post, reference anything that you need. And even if you don't have one, it's probably a good place to reference it. Capcom recently announced that they're switching from PlayStations to PCs running at 144 hertz, obviously connected to 144 hertz displays, for their Capcom Cup tournament. And this is a pretty big deal because this is the first time a larger company has acknowledged how much less latency you can get out of a PC setup for modern games. So this is kind of a big deal. If you want a summary of this, The Verge did a great article. Um, I think Emma Roth just did a, a great job summarizing everything. So if you don't want a lengthy, ranty Bob talk about this, just check out Emma's article and everything you'd need to know should be in here. But I definitely want to talk a bit about this and why latency is still a problem, even with modern gaming, and kind of put everything into a bit of perspective. If you don't care, though, please drop off right now. It's just basically me ranting for the rest of the time. But this is something that's important to me, so I, I really want to put this on here, even if most of you drop off. But anyway, I got to start with some clarification. Simply switching to 144 hertz display is, is not going to lower latency, period. That It's the combination of everything in there. And also, PCs aren't always necessarily faster than consoles for total input latency. But in the context of right now, what we're talking about, the games being played in the Capcom Cup on the PlayStation 5 versus a basic optimized PC with a not crappy graphics card, you're going to get a lot less latency on the PC. And in fact, if you take the time to do some basic optimization and you have a decent PC, not some crazy $3,000 rig, you could see up to a 50% reduction 
in total latency. And that's the time that you press the button on your controller to the time that you perceive motion on the screen. So switching to PC, mild optimizations and running it at 144 hertz on a 144 hertz monitor versus PlayStation 5 on a 60 hertz monitor could potentially be up to 50% faster latency. And this has been a big discussion in the fighting game community and in basically the nerd community for a while now, and it has fallen on deaf ears. And this is something that really bothers me a lot because for years now, myself and my friends have been absolutely attacked and ostracized for talking about latency. Sometimes it's Dunning-Kruger, you know, somebody buys something and just can't believe that the thing that they bought isn't as perfect as they thought. And other times I've called out reviewers for holding up a box and saying it doesn't feel like there's any latency in here when they latency in here when they actually did not do any measurements. And of course they have to attack because if they don't, then they would have to admit that they didn't actually test a goddamn thing. And then most recently it was tournament organizers coming after a pretty good friend of mine because they misunderstood what he said. He did go a little hard sometimes on them, but here's what I wanted to talk about when it comes to running fighting game tournaments, PCs, original consoles, and all of this stuff. And I'm going to summarize it here, but I want to do a detailed video on this someday. But basically, when you talk about optimizing PCs, nobody, at least nobody in their right mind who knows about fighting game tournaments and how they're run, is going to tell people to go out and buy all new equipment. That was never said, that was never implied, unless, I mean, if you have a 15-year-old computer with all of your fans, you know, completely clogged up with cat hair or something, fine, we're talking to you. But if you've just bought basic, not crappy PC equipment, all you have to do is make sure they all match and that they're slightly optimized. Now, you can go nuts in the optimization, which is what I want to dig deep into someday, but... All we were really talking about in those discussions were make sure everything kind of matches. And the best example I can give is if you're a car person, if not, you know, sorry, but imagine somebody wants to run a local race and they've contacted a Honda dealership and got a whole bunch of Honda Civics ready and everybody gets in and drives, but one of the cars seems a little slower. And it turns out that they set all of the cars to performance mode, but forgot and left one of them on eco mode. Or maybe they let some of the tires go unmatched on some of the cars, so you weren't able to take the corners properly. These are free things that just take a little bit of time. And that's the exact type of thing that we're talking about for PC fighting game tournaments. If you have a 144 hertz monitor and a game that supports it, just set the computer to 144 hertz. If you have a computer and it was acting weird, so you format the drive and you reinstall Windows, don't put that next to a PC that was filled with the bloatware from the company that had originally made it. Little things that don't really cost money. And once again, to play games like the latest Street Fighter, you do not need crazy rigs. You just need basic equipment that most of these tournament organizers already owned and a little bit of time. And you can go nuts with the optimization and you can build custom images and you can do some work that this is now digging into my level of expertise because I spent years doing custom embedded images that is essentially the same thing. At the time, it wasn't input latency, but it was squeezing every bit of performance out of embedded equipment that so you didn't have to spend extra money. And that was something that I was very proud of back in the day that I got to do. So I could certainly help the fighting game community with that if they're if they decide to have a little bit of patience. But 
that's kind of the basics. And so, you know, the general, you know, what I think, and I'm not a pro player and I'm not a tournament organizer, although I've done a lot of tech work on a lot of tournaments that I've been visiting with friends and stuff like that, behind the scenes before, preparing stuff, whatever. It's my very strong opinion that if you have already purchased a bunch of PlayStations and that's what you want to have the tournament on, that's fine. Just make sure they match. Make sure one of them doesn't have a dead fan and it's overheating. Make sure they're all connected to about the same monitor. Pick up a lag testing device. Make sure that one of your monitors isn't ridiculously laggy and the other ones are fine. And if you have a choice between PCs and consoles and you know that there's a way to make it way more optimized and faster, maybe just use the PCs. But nobody's asking tournament organizers to throw everything out and buy new stuff because a lot of you might not know this, but most local tournament organizers end up losing money. It is exactly like people in local bands that as a whole spend way more money a year than they make, which is, I guess, kind of like any hobby, right? I mean, it's a lot of people when I was in the local bands that, you know, almost got a little past local said, well, why do you do this? Why do you spend your money? Well, why do you spend like 10 grand a year playing golf? It's the same thing, but my hobby's cheaper. It's kind of the same thing. Why do you, why do tournament organizers drop money? Cause they love it. They love being part of this. They love doing it. So I'm not shitting on TOs at all. And I, in fact, I never have maybe, Maybe a few, but that was because of who they are as people, not because of their tournament organizations. Uh, but all I'm just saying is, let's try to get the right message out there. Latency does matter, 100%. And pro players will always agree with that. It's just that very often, if you have pro players looking for sponsorships, they can't exactly go up to Sony with their middle fingers in the air, or they're going to get attacked by everybody, other TOs, Sony. So you have a lot of people who know the differences who can't really speak up to this stuff. So it's up to us and especially people like me, because what are they going to do? Ban me from tournaments? I'm not good enough to play in them anyway. So it's kind of up to me to be the bad guy in situations like this and bring out things that could be done. But I always want to, I always want to throw all of the praise and support to the people who do this because it's super easy for me to sit here and talk at a camera about this. But what about the people who drag ass after work to get all of their equipment together, to go to a site somewhere, to set up all of this stuff, to make sure all the players are getting everything that they need, to deal with player anxiety. Because anybody that's ever been on stage with a band, up, up live in front of thousands of people in a tournament, you know, a lot of times people get a little snippy before they go on. They get a little anxious. And TOs, just like stage managers, have to deal with all of that. And they do it all because they love this stuff. So all of the support in the world to any TO that actually cares about anything other than clout and getting their name out there. So if you need help, reach out. I will promise you I will do my best. And I also will promise to make this info public. This isn't some secret shit that the RGB Illuminati is just sitting in a corner, you know, twiddling our thumbs laughing. Like we want everyone on the planet to know this stuff. So I'm going to work hard to try to get this out there. I'm out of minutes. I just, I have no free time. So maybe, maybe I'm going to have to skip a couple of Q and A's or something in order to take that time to do this. But I think it is super important. I want to get that info out there. And I also have a very fun t-shirt coming out, hopefully this weekend that will commemorate our feelings on this latency battle, which hopefully you all will find funny. And if not, that's fine too. I'm a dork. You don't have to find me funny, but know that I mean it with love and a bit of sarcasm. But overall, this 10 minute rant was just to say, Thank you, Capcom, for standing up to Sony, because while I'm not saying the PS5 is bad, it's not. I just 
this is something that we all as a community need to work together on to make sure that we tell these companies what we need in order to use these tools to, to run these tournaments. Because Sony has been notorious for just ignoring feedback and it's kind of time for them to start listening. So if you run tournaments and you need optimization tips, reach out, you know where to find me. And uh, if you still don't believe me, if you still think that we're making lag up for attention, look at how much shit we get for doing it. You think I want that? No, I wish I could just pretend it didn't matter, but it does a lot. So, you know, here's to everybody who takes a stand and actually works to make these things better. All right, that's it for this week. You still with me after all of that? Hopefully that came out okay. I did that in one take because I just kind of wanted to talk from my heart, but I'm exhausted. I'm not even on beer. I switched to kombucha today just to try to, <laughs> to try to clear myself out. I'm kind of tired and loopy. So uh, on a normal day when I'm feeling sharp, it's hard enough to get the thoughts bouncing around my giant noggin out of my mouth the right way. So when I'm tired, I don't even know what I'm saying. And, you know, if you misunderstand, it's my fault, not yours. And, you know, if you'd understood and I still pissed you off, you know, maybe you should be mad. <laughs> so, I don't know. I guess when I wake up and uh, and find out on Twitter if everybody's mad at me for my rant or not, I guess I'll find out if people understood me. But to anybody that actually has the patience to listen to this, I'm sorry that I talk so much, but I'm not sorry that I care so much. As cheesy as that is, I really just want to continue to help everybody do better because I think most of you are freaking awesome and, you know, whatever it takes to try to make any of these things more fun or faster or more accurate or, or more resolution or, or whatever, count me in. So as always, thank you to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially to anybody who supports on any of the monthly platforms, because it's really all of you who's keeping all of this going. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>